Stay tuned after the show for a message from Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. Democrats' work on their $3.5 trillion social and climate spending package begins in earnest this week. Of course, we're talking about the legislation that's meant to be the centerpiece of President Joe Biden's domestic agenda and follow through on some of his most ambitious climate and energy promises. Now, the legislation is still very much in flux, but we're starting to get a picture of just how big House Democrats want to go when it comes to fighting climate change. Leaders of the House Energy and Commerce Committee have put out details on some new initiatives that are getting marked up on Monday. Those include a new $150 billion clean energy performance program, $13.5 billion for electric vehicle charging infrastructure, $9 billion for power grid upgrades, and a new national green bank. It's all part of a budget package that congressional Democrats hope they can move through the Senate without a single Republican vote. What climate advocates would tell you is they can't afford to let up on the gas one bit because they view it as the last best chance to really achieve the emissions reductions that are necessary to stave off the worst impacts of climate change. Today, a familiar guest, Congress reporter Anthony Adragna, explains the clean energy and climate initiatives House Democrats are pushing for. It's Monday, September 13th. Anthony, Democrats on Capitol Hill are starting to get serious about the details of this $3.5 trillion budget package. Tell us where things stand in the process. I say we're entering crunch time, but in reality, we're still pretty early on. The House committees are going to do their work. Then we have to see what the Senate comes up with. And then the two chambers have to actually resolve the differences between them. So... Democrats are operating under this really ambitious schedule where they hope to have both of these bills done by the end of the month. Privately, a lot of people on Capitol Hill are telling me that feels unlikely, but that's what they're working with right now. And they're taking the next step of the process underway today. Yeah. So when it comes to energy and climate issues, those are going to be spread across a few committees. The House Energy and Commerce Committee is going to be one of the key ones to watch. We got some initial details on what they're planning to do with their slice of the pie ahead of the markup that's slated for this morning. Um, tell us about what's, what's in there. There's a lot. And I guess the first thing that I would highlight, the kind of the centerpiece of this is something that is being dubbed the Clean Electricity Performance Program. So it's a $150 billion program that'd be administered by the Energy Department that would offer grants to utilities that steadily ramp up their clean energy portfolios. And utilities that miss those targets would then have to pay fees to the federal government. So you're incentivized to add clean energy to your mix, and you're penalized if you don't. And the details are pretty wonky, but that's kind of the centerpiece of that policy. And what Democrats have done is actually set the definition of what would qualify as clean energy pretty low, such that natural gas production without the addition of carbon capture and sequestration likely would not qualify. That's something I'll be watching as we move ahead here. Now, there's lots of other pieces to this as well. There's investments in the power grid to try to modernize it. It's in addition to some of the funding that went there in the bipartisan bill, there's also a methane fee um, that would be placed on the oil and gas industry. The industry really doesn't like that. But that's something that Democrats say is necessary because methane is so much more potent as a greenhouse gas emission than carbon dioxide even. There's investments for electric vehicles. There's $30 billion to help fully fund the replacement of the nation's lead drinking water pipes, which is something that obviously fell out of the bipartisan package. And I think notably as well, 
there's going to be funding for a national green bank. So something that would take public dollars and leverage them against private dollars to invest in clean energy technologies, new companies. That's something that's been done pretty successfully on the state level. But this bill would actually take that to the national level as well with a nearly $30 billion funding for that bank. So lots and lots of different programs uh, in, in what we've seen so far. How does it all add up against the big promises that the Biden administration has made when it comes to climate? I'm thinking about the promise to decarbonize the power grid by 2035. Obviously, big ambitions around rolling back uh, greenhouse gas emissions. What does this all add up to? It's a good question, and we'll have to see what the final version of this ends up looking like. Um, some initial numbers that we'd seen from Majority Leader Chuck Schumer indicated that this would deliver about a 45% emissions drop um, by 2030 from 2005 levels. That's short of the Biden administration's ask of 50%, but Schumer said basically the rest of it would be made up through administrative action and action in the states. That's something that a couple of climate hawks that I talked to, notably Sheldon Whitehouse, were concerned about. They said, we really need to build in some cushion here, and we really need to be trying to get that 50% goal done. So I think basically it's too early to say. On paper, this would get Democrats the vast majority of the way there to delivering on those goals. But the final scope of the package, the size of the package, the policies included in it are going to really make the difference in just how consequential this uh, climate package ends up being. So we, we have been talking about the House side of things here, but at the end of the day, the legislation is going to have to get 50 votes in the Senate if it's going to become law, um, and clearly a number of pressure points over there. What are you watching specifically on the Senate side of things? I'm continually reminded, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but Sheldon Whitehouse told me in like March of this year, immense amounts of this are all TBD, and I still feel that way as we enter this grueling month ahead. It's still not clear even how big this package is going to be. And we're talking about trillions of dollars. So the next few weeks are going to be brutal, but they're also going to be very consequential in determining the scope and the size of the package. And what climate advocates would tell you is they can't afford to let up on the gas one bit because they view it as the last best chance to really achieve the emissions reductions that are necessary to stave off the worst impacts of climate change. Well, I hope we all have really full coffee pots as we head into this week. (laughs) Anthony, thank you for chatting with us about all of this. Um, We miss you. Of course. Thanks for having me. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com backslash morning energy. If you like our show, then like it. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps more people find the show. Also, here's a sneak peek of our newest Politico podcast, Global Insider, which launches on September 15th. Senior EU correspondent Ryan Heath takes you up close and personal with the world's most powerful people. For Politico, I'm Annie Snyder. Talk to you tomorrow. Yep, we're rolling. I'm Ryan Heath, and for seven years, I've been running a newsletter about global affairs covering the CEOs who shaped the economy, the lawmakers who set the rules, and the innovators who bend them. In that time, I've gotten to know a lot of them and their world pretty well. What do you think the longest pause is someone's ever taken when you've asked them like a really hard question? Oh, that's easy. Um, It was Emmanuel Macron, and I asked him when was the last time he'd built a piece of IKEA furniture, and the dude could not answer the question. I think Tony Blair certainly flirts with his eyes. 
Is there an airport tip you have? There is an amazing bakery at Copenhagen Airport called Hakkasuset. <laughs> I can never say it right. <laughs> now I'm doing a different kind of interview with the same sources I've kept tabs on for years, more personal conversations that usually happen behind closed doors in Davos and the UN. Is it just something that you have to accept is out of your control now? Of course I'm worried. We're doing this in a pandemic. We all have to be worried. Every week, there'll be activists, regulators, business leaders, like NATO's Jens Stoltenberg and Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the US ambassador to the UN. African leaders need to spend more time with their young people, and they need to empower them to lead in the future. The balance of power is always shifting. Global Insider is how you keep up. We launch September 15th. See you there. Laukehusa. Laukehusa. <laughs> We're humans, not robots, so I can't make it sound like the robot. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron's El Segundo refinery is looking to turn plant-based oil into renewable gasoline, jet, and diesel fuels. Because it's only human to want to power a better future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lower carbon.